This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs. My name is Gareth Armstrong. It is, as usual, great to be with you. And what do we do on Future CEOs? We bring the best and brightest into studios so that we can learn from their experiences. Uh, also find out some of the highs that they've gone through, some of the lows that they've gone through. And and really what it's all about is expediting our own journeys. The ability to, a wise man once said that the most wise person in the room is the person that learns from the experience of others. Um, if you're listening to this, that means you're very wise. Smart, smart move, Marco. Welcome to studio. You are a... When I look at all the things that you've been able to do, you're a fairly dynamic individual with one heck of a story. When when someone says that to you, I mean, do you blush? Do you do you say like no? Or can you look at yourself and say, actually, yes, yes, I am. So I think first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Gareth. And uh, I think my response to your question is that I, it's always difficult for someone to hear somebody else looking at their lives from a different perspective, especially when, you know, people, you know, look at the things that you might have been able to achieve. Um, you start to think, well, wow, actually, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see that. Mm. Um, and so it's not, and this is not a false sense of humility, but I really, I really believe in the normal man. And, and what I mean by that is that I am proof that the most ordinary people in the world can achieve extraordinary things. Mm. Uh, not because I'm an extraordinary individual, but because, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen in your life that you have control over that you can steer yourself in the direction that will help you get wherever you want to go. Well, I think people are looking at you and saying you've done some extraordinary things. So you've been a finalist on a, a number of different awards. You've, uh, I know you were nominated as one of Mail and Guardian's top 200 South Africans. You've, you've written a book. You uh, have started a nonprofit called Mountain Heights. I mean, and we must talk a little bit about that because I think it's, an, it's something that's near and dear to your heart, but it's Correct. because it's part of your identity and yes. we'll get into a little bit of that. But then you're also, an entrepreneur that has started multiple companies. Um, I'm very interested to find out what kind of entrepreneur you are. So we'll, we'll also ask that question. And and but your most recent venture is called Colony Live, and you've taken it international. That's right. Now, if the, if there's an extraordinary journey, it's somewhere in between all of that. When when I say that to you, you and you are able to just take a moment and reflect a little bit. Uh, what stands out as some of the extraordinary moments that you have experienced? So business for me wasn't something that I wanted to get into. Mm. And I, and I think I need to be quite clear on that. I never, I never grew up wanting to be, you know, a CEO or recognized as a great businessman. In fact, the vast majority of my life was spent as a reprobate child. I had a, a, a really, a really difficult childhood in that I was an extremely naughty kid. Okay. You know, so, that, so you can't blame someone else. You're, you're taking correct, responsibility. 100%. I mean, I made some really poor choices in my life and that led me to ultimately becoming a substance abuser, crack mm. cocaine, heroin addiction. And in 1999, I was given by God's grace the ability to overcome this, this addiction. And that fueled in me a desire to want to really bring a message of hope to people that were struggling with similar things. Similar things. The reality is we live in a society where, you know, you get classified quite quickly and you get labeled very easily. And so once you're a drug addict, you know, that's it. Your life is pretty much over. I mean, you're an addict for life. Well, well, um, I, I wanted to ask this question is I mean, how do you actually get through that? And especially the extreme to where you were, I, I can see, I can see a whole bunch of fantastic 
lesson that you may have learned doing that, but, but this is a lifelong thing. Correct. Well, I mean, so there's two views. One is you're addicted for life and you'll always be an addict. I believe quite firmly that you can choose to no longer be an addict. And that's really mm-hmm. the message of hope that I wanted to bring. And so the business for me was as a direct result of creating a vehicle that would create wealth for me so that I could build a platform that would change people's lives. And this is Mountain Heights. Correct. And Mountain Heights is a non-profit needed funding. The truth is corporate South Africa aren't throwing money at drug initiatives, believe me. And so over time I realized that if I was going to do the things that I wanted to do to create this message or spread this message of hope that said that if I could change, anyone could change, I needed to, I needed to build a business that would do that. Mm. And so my first venture into, into building a business was in 2006. It started with a company called um, Eurocom, which pivoted into another business. Uh, but ultimately, you know, through a set of really connected circumstances, I got into a position where I was able to start my own company and build my own wealth to do the things that I really loved. The, the thing is, uh, there are going to be people that are listening to this and they're going to ask, but how do you actually even start? You, you didn't have a, to, to what, you've, what you've shared, you didn't have this business thing in your, back, in your background. It, it, it wasn't there. So how did a business actually start? Uh, sometimes it feels like you need all of this experience, a lot of background to do it. Uh, it sounds like you had a bit of a different journey. I did. And I'm not saying that my journey is going to be the same as everyone else's. Of course. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the challenge. And just maybe if I can just for one second, just highlight something. When I, when I have been nominated in the awards, everyone always asks me, so what school did you go to and where did you go to university? Yeah. yeah. My response is, well, that's interesting because I never went to university. In fact, I struggled to finish school. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, the ordinary way we think we should do things isn't necessarily the only way. And so for me, going into business was really looking at an opportunity. The company that I'd been working for as a salesperson, as a sales manager, in fact, was going into liquidation. And I saw an opportunity with existing clients. Me and two other friends started the business. Mm. It was literally saying we could do what we had been doing, except we could do it for ourselves. And so opportunities are all around us. We live in a country of innovators. And I, and I really want to say that, that I have been exposed to some of the greatest innovations and some of the greatest thinkers in the world in this country. You know, by, by our very nature of where we've come from as, as a country, as a nation, we think on our feet very well. Other countries, other cultures struggle to do that. Yeah, they, they've, they've been brought up in a box and, a, and that box is where they stay. Correct. So I think just in, it's in our nature. I mean, if, if you're passionate and you want to start a business and you think, well, where do I start? Well, what are you passionate about doing? But what is the why? And, and for me, that's important. Mm. And, and that was what kept me going. Because believe me, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, not, it wasn't overcoming addiction. It was fighting through this business process of mine. Because business is tough. Mm. Business is difficult. You're going to wake up every morning and you've got to remind yourself why you're doing this. And so for me, figuring out what was the motivation to keep me going every single day was important. Now, it might be different for everyone else. I'm not saying you have to have a personal dream or a goal or an ambition like I do. But for me, knowing that my life counted for far more than just the business, in fact, the business was a vehicle for me, made me continue in the darkest of moments. Mm-hmm. And you absolutely need to be able to have that motivation because there are going to be very dark moments, uh, both on the nonprofit side and a for-profit journey, certainly. Uh, let's, let's go back and let's quickly talk about where you are currently because that will highlight the, the, the rest of this conversation or give context to it. So currently I understand that you are over in the United States. You've moved there. You've actually picked up, gone there because your business has done so well and you've seen a gap there that you want to fill with, with Colony Live. Correct. Can you just give us a 30-second overview of Colony Live in words that are less jargony than jargon? 
Okay, so in simplistic forms, Colony Live is a platform. Okay, there's one word, sorry. But effectively, it's a tool that really is designed to give radio a story for the 21st century. Okay. And what I mean by that is radio or all traditional media is and has been selling the same dream for the last 60 years. Mm. The, tro- the problem is in the age that we live in today, this station, in fact, is proof that there are alternative ways of doing media. People are wanting to live in a real-time environment. Mm. Traditional media doesn't apply that or have that ability. And so what Colony Live for the first time does is gives radio the ability to tell a real-time story. Who are the people that we're engaging with? Who are the people that are listening? What are they saying? Correct. What What is the sentiment around the audience? How do we profile the audience and how do we give that back to our advertisers? Mm. So we are really, when when you drill it down in the storytelling business, we want to give radio a new story to tell because we really believe in the medium. We believe in the product, and we believe it has a future. You're data translators. Correct. Essentially, we take a whole bunch of random data, unstructured data, and turn it into something that's actionable and usable and that can deliver monetary returns to a station. Mm. So that, that's where you are. Yes. Let's now, let, let's now go back because we'll, we'll uncover a little bit of that journey and, and what your hopes and dreams are for the future. But let's now go back to where, where you began. And, and so you've spoken about this addiction thing, um, that, that, and when I say thing, I don't mean to diminish it in sure. any form or fashion because of the, the beast and nature of it. But you started, um, with an addiction that then led you into your purpose. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, please? Sure. So I think, you know, first of all, I've got to give glory to, you know, I'm a, a person that lives by faith. And mm-hmm. so I honestly have to give God the glory for getting me through my addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was pivotal to who I am. It's still pivotal to who I am today. So it would be just disingenuous for me not to talk about mm-hmm. it. My faith is, 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 is part of who I am. And so in that, in that, you know, in the faith that I believe as a Christian, you know, I believe that, you know, we have to be able to give back some of the good that's been done to us. Mm-hmm. And so, Building a business, creating a nonprofit was really about spreading this message of hope. I'm not different to anybody else. If I can overcome addiction, so can you. And so the business, the first business or Eurocom as it stood was a very simplistic, you know, value added services business model where we provided consumers the access to brands to unpack consumer promotions, okay. SMS messages, telephone lines. Mm. We made revenue. It was great. Uh, and we made revenue from the calls that came in. We didn't charge clients any any fees for the service, and it was a good business. And that was great, and it helped me do a lot of the things that I'm passionate about, like climb mountains and uh, go speak at schools and do things that, you know, would create awareness around, you know, this issue of addiction can be beaten. Mm. Um, That business was great while it lasted. I just want to jump in there for a moment. What I've seen, there's there's a rise in individuals that try and feign social good and social um, offerings, uh, but really is it's just a front. Uh, what would you say to someone that is listening to you and, and thinking, let's put a front on? Um, and I think it goes to the, your point of find your why. Uh, but what would you say to someone that's going to put a front on to try and sell it as this this thing that is driving them in their career and their business? So I think in this generation, we've heard more of this particular phrase being said. It's called social entrepreneurship. Yeah, exactly. And so people frame business within this theme of social entrepreneurship. And I want to say that if you aren't really – Invested in what it is that you're socially actually active about or, mm. or really passionate about, that thing is going to eat you alive and it's going to spit you out because you will not have the momentum or the ability to sustain it. Mm. 
And so you, if you are trying to create a need or a why that is disingenuous to who you are as an individual, don't do that. Rather, just create a business mm. and call it a for-profit business, and that's what it is. I yeah, mean, that's and, great. And if your why is money, there's actually nothing wrong with that. Correct. Yeah. So don't don't frame it as, as it's going to do some good. Um, and, and, I mean, I see that quite a lot in the States at the moment as well. There's a lot of businesses that are created, you know, with an intention to help a, a dis- disadvantaged community somewhere in the world. Mm. Uh, and in some cases, these businesses are really interested. And in some cases, they aren't. It mm. just really becomes a way for them to garner, uh, you know, social media and PR around mm. it. Um, but the challenge with it is over time that that becomes not enough of a reason for you to get up in the morning. And that's where the danger is. And that's why the why is really important. If it's important to you, if this is what motivates you every day, if bringing hope to the lost is what you want to do, then that's what's going to keep you going. We had a conversation with Dr. Martini. He's a friend of ours, and he comes back and answers all of our difficult questions um, over and over again every, every once in a while when he's here. And he keeps on saying that you need to go to where your values really are. And there's a number of indicators for that. We were speaking in this particular segment about a mid-career or midlife crisis and how what it really is is just an indication of a misalignment. And so what I hear you saying here is that there will potentially be a misalignment at some point and you're going to, you're going to be unhappy as a result. 100% because you won't be true to who you are. So let's go back into what has made you happy. And so I hear you, I hear you speaking about going, uh, going to speak at schools. Um, there's a, a mountain climbing element to all of this. Let's take it from there. Okay. So there's a f- we first of all assist families that struggle to get their their children into treatment, and we help with aftercare counselling. Mm. So just building up the family environment because addiction destroys the family. Um, and then the mountains were really a mechanism to create, you know. These big obstacles, literally drug addiction is like a mountain. Mm. Business is like a mountain. It's hard to get to the top, but once you get there and you put one foot in front of the other, you can overcome it. Mm. And so we, we chose the seven summits as an initiative. We were, we want to be and still want to be the first nonprofit to complete the seven summits, which are the seven highest peaks on the seven continents. Yep. We've done three so far of the seven, soon to be four. Um, and in addition to that was really anything that was extreme. So in 2013, I was fortunate to be a part of a three-man team that set a world record. We walked across the Arabian Desert on foot, unsupported. Wow. We pulled all our own water, our supplies for 40 days. Everyone said it couldn't be done. Uh, nobody had done it before on foot. And so this journey for me was just another representation of my life. I mean, literally crossing a desert is like getting through all the difficult challenges you face in life. And I'm not trying to speak to just people that are suffering with substance abuse problems. This is life. It's life. The truth is you've got to get to an end point. And along that journey are going to be a lot of tough days. There's going to be a lot of challenges. And people are going to tell you that you can't do it. Mm. But the lesson I learned in the desert and what I try and just you know pass on to anyone that I talk to is that the only way I got to the end of this 1,208-kilometer trek across the hottest piece of earth on earth mm. was literally by putting one foot in front of the other. It wasn't about thinking about five days, 10 days, or 15 days in advance. It was literally moment by moment, and that's how I've chosen to live my life. It's difficult. I'm not going to get it right. I'm not going to tell you I get it right every day. But all I've got to focus on is right now. What is in front of me today, and how do I get through it? But but what I'm hearing from you is right now, uh, with a a true north or a guiding light, and for you, I think it centers on faith and yes. and God. Yes. Uh, and so right now must not come at the expense of of your values. Correct. And I think that I, I hear that. Now let's just talk quickly about this this desert crossing. I mean that that's a it's a crazy thing. <laughs> um, an incredible thing. You've written a couple of books, so you you probably know how to how to summarize and pull this all together. If I was to ask you, can you summarize that that feat into into phases? 
So what do you experience for the first two days? Then what, what's the, what's the, and, 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 can you, can you do that um, yes. off the top of your well, head? I'm, I'm going to try. So I think what I try and do is, I mean, if I had to think of it, the beginning of the journey is almost this honeymoon phase. There's mm. a lot of excitement. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, butterflies in the stomach and, and you, you're setting out on something that's never been done before. And that's like your business, right? Mm. I mean, when you start a business, there's a lot of excitement, but believe it or not, you know, three, four days into it and with, you know, oppressive heat and huge journeys ahead of you pulling a 500 kilogram cart, this, this novelty wears off quite quickly. And you start to realize that this thing's going to require an effort, mm. but not only an effort, an effort that replicates itself every single day. Yeah, exactly. Literally, when you wake up in the morning, what do you look forward to? Oh, well, I get to pull a cart across probably 40 to 50 kilometers of the desert sands again. Mm. And so the novelty wears off quite quickly. And what that builds in you is an ability to stick through the tough times. Mm. The ability to say, you know what, as much as I, 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 I actually don't want to get out of bed today or out of my tent, I need to do this because there's an end goal. And that keeps motivating you. Yeah, and and uh, you've used the word motivation. I've, I've heard this said differently where, motiva- uh, where motivation ends – Ends, discipline begins. Correct. And I think that's what I'm hearing you 100%. say. Here. And that's what it's about. It's about becoming disciplined, about allowing the routine, the good routine to take, you know, effect. And, and then sort of you, you get to like the mid of the journey and you, and you've started to knock out some big kilometers behind you and you think, wow, we've got this, you know, we're going to get to the end. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden something completely unexpected happens. And this is again, like, life. Did, did, so, so something, something happened. Correct. I mean, we, we had averaged for the first 10 days of this journey, between 38 and 42 kilometers a day. Okay. We thought we were going to finish probably in about 35, 34 days. That, um, can I just say that's pretty fast for dragging a, fi- a 500 kilogram cart, you said? Correct. That, and it that, wasn't just me. It was a guy called Alex Harris and Dave Joyce, mm-hmm. good friends of mine. But about 10 days into the journey, we had even, we had gotten so far and moved so fast that we thought, well, we'll have a rest day. We just won't do anything. Mm. You know, it was at our first water point where we were legally allowed to collect water according to the, the record that we were trying to set. And it was from a natural oasis. And so we thought, we'll have this rest day. And, you know, every day would continue the same. I mean, we're just going to fly through this thing. You know, you get on the phone to the wire from the sat phone. Mm. Hey, this thing's great. You know, we're doing well. We're doing amazingly. Day 11, you know, we rested. Day 12, we hit the worst conditions we'd ever experienced. I mean, for the last, you know, 10 days that we'd been putting the cart, we'd seen nothing like this. The sand was literally so soft. We literally, mm. on that first day, since the cart was at its heaviest point again, managed to eke out probably about eight kilometers. Oh, wow. And then you start to do the numbers and you say, well, if we did eight kilometers today, what about tomorrow? If we continue doing eight kilometers, we, we're either going to die because we're going to run out of food or water, mm. but we can't do this anymore. And so the next phase is really about overcoming these massive challenges. It's like, what do you do when, when, when literally a curveball gets thrown at you? And we had some, we had six days of that, six days of extremely tough, extremely okay, hot wow. weather, 52 degrees under extreme water rations. We were pushing ourselves literally to the point of death. Mm. Um, and it was in those moments that we had to dig really deep. Um, there were a few times in there where we thought this is just no longer going to be possible. But we pushed on and, you know, at the time and, the, and the, the, the circumstances and the environment started to change back into our favor. And before we knew it, we were on track again. Mm. We never ended up the journey finishing early. We finished on day 40. We planned for 40 days. We mm. took 40 days worth of food and we finished on 40 days. Okay. So, so had those six days not occurred, there would have been an early end. Correct. But, but okay. So um, what, I, what I like about your story and what I like about you sharing certainly the – the, the challenging part of it is the the fact that life happens. Hundred percent. And and you've highlighted that. And is is 
let's just jump into the present moment for, for before you go there. Okay. Sorry, there's one thing I want to add yes. about the desert. Probably the most valuable lesson that I took out of it mm. is that we wish away moments so quickly. You know, mm. let me tell you, I there were moments on that journey. I wish I would tell you today that I was amped, motivated, and excited every morning when I got up, but I wasn't. The mm. truth is, I would wake up hating the fact that I had to walk another 48 kilometers in the desert heat. And all I would think about is I can't wait until I get to the end of this journey. Mm. Alex Harris, who's probably one of South Africa's greatest adventurers, said to me on day one, he said to me, you need to enjoy, enjoy every minute of this experience. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I was like, how do you enjoy suffering at the level that we're suffering? It's impossible. On the last two-kilometer stretch, as we were pulling into TV cameras, television crews, and into the Park Hyatt Hotel, he turned around and looked at me and he said to me, you better enjoy this because this is literally the last hour that you'll ever experience this in your life. Mm. And it was in that moment that the weight of what we had completed and the, the immense magnitude of this achievement really started to sink in. And what I realized is that I had so much regret. Regret that I never enjoyed and savored every single minute of every single day. Yeah, I wished away the journey mm. because I just wanted to get to the end. And life happens. And for me, that's one of the greatest lessons I've taken out of this is that, you know, you might be in the most difficult of circumstances today. But let me tell you something. You will look back on it one day and you'll say, I wish I'd spent more time in the moment being intentional, spending mm. time with my kids, not ignoring them, not being stressed out, not being freaked out, but just enjoying whatever I have right now. Isn't that regret all the time, though? So if, if we think back and even if you hadn't across the if you had if you had confronted death in a particular moment, you always here at least, that people potentially look back and they regret moments that they weren't intentional, where they weren't in the moment. And so this, is, this, this, was, a, this was a valuable lesson for you, I think. 100%. And it's something that I've tried to bring into my business. It's try to, I've tried to bring it to the most difficult times that I've faced as, a, as an entrepreneur to say, well, you know, just remember the desert. You know, it might, it might be hard now, but, you know, there's still, there's still gems right mm. now. There's still gems all around you. There's moments and intentionality that needs to happen right now. And there's a, there's a certain beauty to pain as well uh, that, that, and, and an experience set that you're never going to have anywhere else. No. You took it to the extreme. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your your journey with us because it's likely that I certainly will never do that do that um but it's interesting how we can potentially relate to it. So we've spoken a little bit about challenges and uh, let's bring this into into today. You are you're sitting at on the edge of a cliff potentially. Mm. Something that you have to jump into big cliff. Which which actually you've done, you've jumped. Right. Now you're trying to build on the way down potentially, but you've got a really solid platform from which to do that. Uh, you, you, when you look at a at America, um, it's a big place. It's a big market. How do you how do you eat that elephant? Yeah. So without going into without sounding too simplistic, the reality is it's moment by moment, mm. and, and and I know how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. The truth is that's what you have to do. The United States is a complex market. You know, we often think um, that because they speak English and we're English that everything's the same. Mm. It's not the same. But what I also have to remind myself consistently is that I'm going into their culture. This is their world. Mm. And, and so now I need to change who I am to adapt. The radio market in the United States is fraught with a whole bunch of problems as it stands today. We are fortunate in, in this country that we have amazing radio stations. We have quality on-air talent. Mm. We have quality, quality shows, and it's a regulated market. In the United States, radio was deregulated in the 90s, and what that created was this 
buying frenzy. Corporate yeah. companies just bought up radio stations because they saw them as cash cows. And so because of the corporatization of radio, what inevitably came after that was cost cutting. How do we get rid of our biggest line item, which is talent? And mm. so talent got cut. And so what you deal with in America today is a station environment where the stations are almost entirely pre-recorded mm. um, playlist effectively. And, and people wonder why Spotify, Pandora, Deezer are, have gained momentum. It's because radio is not live. Mm. And so we are coming in at the end of this realization. You know, companies like iHeart, Cumulus have filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. There is still a lot of money flowing into radio, don't get me wrong. But because it's deregulated, again, stations need to opt into ratings. And so Nielsen, who is the incumbent at the moment, charges a fortune for ratings. So mm. stations just don't get rated anymore. And so we enter this market as a, as a solution or a solutions provider that helps stations start to build some measurability mm. where there is no measurability. So that's a good thing. But we still deal with the challenge of trying to get people to realize that if they're not going to engage with their audience, in other words, get their audiences to participate with their content, they're not going to be able to build the data. Mm. And that's sort of our challenge at the moment. I think that the United States is going to take us longer than we anticipate. We've got some great strategic partnerships there. We've got partnerships with some of the largest radio software producers in the world as well. And so on the back of that, I think we've got a solid platform. But we've got to educate as well as sell, and that's always difficult. You know, being ahead of the innovation curve in a market mm. comes with its own set of challenges. Sure. Um, but what we have come to the, the realization is that there is a wide and a massive opportunity for our product, and there is a lot of interest and a lot of excitement about what we're doing. How long it takes us to get to critical mass or the tipping point, I don't know. Um, and that's the other thing with the market that you don't know is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, and that for me is, is, is unnerving. As it stands, my family leaves with me this coming Wednesday, which will be, I think it's the, the 13th of June. Up until now, I've been there getting everything sorted. But as of next week, we take the plunge as a family mm -hmm. and we go for good. I mm -hmm. still run the business from here. I've got a great team behind me. And I've got to say that, that, you know, going to America and building this product there, would never have been possible if it wasn't for the people that, that are in my team. Mm. Colony Live as a product is a, is a sum total of everyone's input. Innovation doesn't happen in a vacuum. Sure. It doesn't happen by one person. Even and there's though, something about a hive mind as well, isn't there? Correct. Well, that's why we've got the name Colony. Mm. But, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of people believe the founder is the beginning and end all of the business. To me, my team is really the one that deserves all the praise. Every award we've won, you know, I wouldn't have been able to win it if it wasn't for the team. And so innovation continues to happen in South Africa, and that innovation supports me to be able to go build a business in other markets, whether it's the United States now, the UK next, wherever else we go. I have a great team behind me that supports me. Here's what I'm hearing about you. So uh, often we have people that come in and they've got a title of CEO or founder or chairperson or whatever it happens to be. But what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that you, to a certain extent, are, there's a pioneering spirit to you. There's an adventurous spirit. There's, that uh, you can take risk. But uh, what I'm hearing, um, come through a lot is that you're a salesperson. That's, that's pretty much right. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. And what I've learned, um, and it's been a decade of interviewing CEOs, is the best CEOs in the world are really, really good salesmen. And they have to talk to external stakeholders, internal stakeholders, and the extent to which they can sell really defines whether they're really good or not. And that also comes down to phases of business and in end. I'm interested to know what kind of entrepreneur you are. What When you step into a particular phase um, – and I think I know the answer already because you started businesses. I don't know how how good you are at scaling businesses. You're, you're scaling by taking 
on the front, or taking on the competition or taking on the market at the front line. So that also tells me that you're probably not the person that, that assigns people to go out and scale in your behalf. What kind of entrepreneur are you? Sure, that's a, that's a dangerous question because likely my chairman's going to hear this as well. Okay. So I've got to be careful. No. So I really believe in leading from the front. Uh, and, and, and when I say leading from the front, I really believe in leadership. You know, there's someone that's got to take the first steps. Mm. But supported with people that know what they're doing. So here's the thing, right? And I said this from the beginning. You, you, you know, I think you did. You say it on air, or did you say it off air? When you say you're a different kind of CEO, I am a different kind of CEO. I didn't go to business school. I don't have a, a degree behind me. I didn't. I haven't done an MBA, right? Mm. So don't get me wrong. I've learned a lot in the positions that I've been in, and I've had to teach myself a lot of things. Mm. But the truth is, there are people that are far better at doing things that I'm not good at doing. Mm. Things like making sure that the finances of the business are covered. And I have a great financial manager, a great financial team. I have got strategists that help me come up with business strategy. What I'm good at doing is going out there and pioneering to your point. I can go out there and I'm not scared to unlock a new market. I'm not scared to stand in front of a room of people and say, listen, the product that we've got, you desperately need. Mm. And support myself with people that can help me make tactical decisions. At the end of the day, you know, the bucks stops with me and, and I'm not going to deny that. However, I'm not capable to do everything in a business. And, and I think often I found in my life where I've gotten into the most amount of trouble is when I've thought I could do things that I'm really not skilled at doing. Mm. And so what I'd much rather do is empower people within my team to make the decisions that I know I'm not good at making, be involved in the process and then go and do the things that I love doing. And I'm not abdicating, well, listen, guys, I'm gone. You run the business and figure it out. Mm. I am directly and intrinsically linked to the success of this company. And so I'm actively involved at all levels. But I believe you have to empower people in their strengths, you know. And so, you know, look for the strengths in people and realize what your strengths aren't. And what is your strength? Focus on that. Where you're weak, find people that are going to shore up what you're weak in to mm. help you make better decisions. Mm. And I, I really believe that's the type of leader that I've tried to be. How do you make decisions? So you've made a very big decision here to go into a new market. Uh, your words were, uh, it may take longer than we had anticipated. How do you make a decision um, even though it may take longer than anticipated? So, uh, how do you make decisions? So I've grown in this area of my life. Um, I, I've never been scared of risk. Mm. So risk for me has been just part of who I am, taking leaps and great leaps of faith. Um, it's something I do quite easily. I have learned, though, that sometimes that can terrorize people, including my wife. Mm. And so over the years, in the last 12 years, I've learned to take people along the journey with me. Uh, and so this particular decision to go to the United States is a decision that's been three years in the making. It was a decision that was backed up by solid research that we commissioned from Stanford in the United States. We did a feasibility study, uh, basically a competitor analysis, a route-to-market strategy. And so this wasn't something that was just thought up one night and I decided to leap, although in my nature, I could have done that. Mm. At the same time, I have a personal life. I have a family and, and children who have to change their entire lives. And so they had to come along this journey with me. My faith was a big part in this as well. Um, and so all of these things combined means that I make decisions today that are quite calculated, but I'm not scared to take the, the, risky, the risky moves. And what I do try and do to the best of my ability is make sure that everybody understands the brutal truth at any point of the journey. Mm, that's a and good so point. the key is, as I report back to stakeholders, shareholders that I'm involved with, if things are taking longer, then it's, that's what it is. Mm. If things are taking quicker, that's great. But often what we can try and do is try and 
protect everyone else from the bad news. And, and I've learned not to do that mm. because, you know, it's disingenuous. And also, you know, you end up getting yourself into a tiz because you're trying to manufacture something. But I really believe that this decision is a solid one. I have complete buy-in from all stakeholders, not just myself. And I had to make sure that I use sounding boards. Guys, this is what I'm thinking. Do you see the opportunity the way that I do? And can we get two or three people to agree with what we're saying? And where there is, you know, a contrary voice or voice that says that, listen, you need to, I'm raising a flag because there's a challenge to sit down and listen and say, well, actually, that's interesting. I never even saw that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's about getting the right advice, surrounding yourself again with people that can speak into what you're doing and making decisions based on, you know, not a consensus all the time because others you'll get nowhere sometimes, but getting people to give you feedback and listening. Is there a story you can share with us or tell us about an incident where you didn't listen and it just went wrong? Yeah, but then my wife will probably <laughs> tell you, I told you so. Um, man, I, I've got to tell you, I've made so many mistakes in my life. I, if I had to sit here today and tell you there's one, there are so many different occasions where, you know, and, and often it's been my wife that's been the one that said to me, oh, babes, I don't really think that's a good idea, you mm -hmm. know, and I've forged on ahead and done it. And I can't recall one, you know, right now. I mean, in business, I have often, you know, maybe moved ahead too far ahead of the market than, than, than it was, you know, mm -hmm. and in fact, a case in point now that I can remember is a product that we built before Colony Live, which was a, a software as a service solution for FMCG brands. And we built this massive platform that was going to cater for and allow brands to create their own unpacked consumer promotions, build data and insights around their consumers. And the truth is nobody wanted it mm. because they just didn't want to do it themselves. Um, and I didn't see that coming. I went ahead and did it. Um, and so, look, I'm capable of making mistakes. And that's why I think what I've learned to do is make sure that I get buy-in from people that I trust and people that I know not only have my best intentions at heart, but the business's best intentions at heart. You've spoken about research. Uh, to what extent do you rely on instinct and intuition? We've had a conversation on the show about instinct and intuition. And I, I, my natural way of making certain, certain kinds of decisions, let's call it certain risk level decisions, is, uh, is to rely on quite a lot on data and, and research and insights rather than this idea of intuition. What, just a thought or two on intuition versus some kind of a data rich decision. Hmm. So I think data and analytics and research can get you so far. But I also believe that there are some times in our lives where intuition and just a keen sense of understanding about the industry that you're in can actually, you know, be the determining factor whether you succeed or not. But isn't a keen sense of understanding, isn't that data? Yes, but I think that at some, sometimes the data can, you can get caught up in data. Mm. I mean, where does it end? So the truth is at some point research has to come to an end and sure. someone's got to make a decision. Mm. So I suppose intuition starts to play a part where you look at the data and you know, perhaps it's not as compelling as you think it would have been or should have been. However, you realize and know inherently that there is an opportunity. I think that sometimes intuition does play a part in it. I don't think that every successful entrepreneur or every successful CEO has only relied on data. In fact, a lot of it's been intuition. Mm. But again, I mean, I think that there is a fair amount of data crunching and understanding that you need to have. And so intuition without any understanding is just gambling, right? I mean, that's sure. just risk. Yeah, exactly. That's just risk without any calculation. So it's just jumping. So I think that intuition only really starts, for my life at least, um, I try to only use my intuition once I understand the problem mm. and, and then try to make an informed decision. I suppose it's, it's based on data, but there is still an element of, okay, you know what? I think this is going to work. Can we can we f put it into a bit of a, a a formula? So your decisions will be thirty percent intuition, sixty percent data, or seventy percent data. Or what what do you think? Where do you lie? I think 
by virtue of the fact of where I am today and because I'm not just accountable to myself but to a board, I think as it stands, 60%, 60 to 70% data and then 30 to 40% intuition. Okay, and, and, then, and that'll change. That'll vary. And that'll, what's also nice is that um, you, as you grow as an individual, that'll also change. And um, let's, let's pull back and let's talk about you, though. Okay. You as a person, uh, you as an entrepreneur, because what we can't do is we can't keep on going and going and going. And so you'll, you'll have learned this throughout your, your um, adventures. And there was that moment in the desert where you decided to take a break. How do you as an, an entrepreneur, as a person, refuel? What, what, what is it that allows you to do that? So for me, again, and I, I'm going to go back to it again. So my wife and my family are really, really, really important to me. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be the man that I am today if it wasn't for my wife. She has been a pillar of strength and a great support to me in, in really difficult times and someone that's been honestly my biggest fan. And she has to be because she's biased, right? Mm. But she has been. My children along with her. But superseding that, it's really my faith. I mean, so as a, as a leader in the church, I mean, you know, my faith says that, you know, when, when Jesus died for our sins, he, he, he set us free from everything and he loves us. And so for me, just that understanding of complete and total grace for me has been a huge fuel for me. So I often find my greatest times of recharging are when I'm in his presence, when I spend time meditating on his word. Mm. I know that, you know, it sounds corny, but the truth is, you know, a book that stays next to my bed for my entire life is the Bible. I mm. find great comfort in it. And, mm. and, and not because it's, it's, it's highly intelligent, but because I feel like the words speak to me as an individual at who I am, not with love, right? And so when I need refueling, when I need recharging, when I need to reinvigorate myself, I go to him. And I literally sit with him because that's, that's where my strength comes mm. from. Everything that's good in me comes from him. Mm. Uh, and so I know, I mean, I don't know if that's what you want to hear, but that's who I am, right? Uh, and that's really, and that happens in times often when I'm away with my family, when I'm with my kids, you know, taking breaks and vacations. Mm. I also believe that we shouldn't, I mean, it's not healthy to be working 24 hours a day, really. I mean, that's not cool either. And so what we've tried to drive as a culture in our company is that, you know, where, where we're required to push, we push. But generally, I want you to go home and spend time with your family as well. Mm. Because if you don't recharge that love tank of yours, and if you don't look after that relationship at home, believe me, you're going to be less, you're going to be less um, efficient at work anyway. Um, and so, you know, it, for me, it's, it's about creating that balance, making sure I spend that time refueling myself, that I've got the momentum or the ability to create the momentum to carry on. Um, with the most important people in my life and God being first. What, what I so appreciate, appreciate about what you're sharing is the fact that your life, you, you've looked at your life maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, uh, holistically. And so there's a spiritual element to, the, to your refueling. There's a, a, an emotional element. The, the family forms part of both of those. There's also the work environment. And so you, there, there's, and there's fuel for each or fuel levels in, in each as well. And so I appreciate what you're sharing. Uh, because it speaks to all of these different areas of, of all of our lives, whether we choose to acknowledge those areas or not. They sure. exist, uh, in, certainly in my opinion anyway. What is the book, what, uh, other than the Bible, what yes. other book is on your bedside table at the moment? Right now, I'm reading a book called Paradigm. Okay. I can't remember the name of the author. It's pretty good, though. Um, the Tipping Point. Um, oh, that's Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell yeah. Yes. This is the second time I'm reading it because I'm trying to get my business to the tipping, tipping point, point in yeah. America. So mm -hmm. I thought it would be good for us, for me to read it right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so those are the two right now that are on, the, on my bedside table. Um, yeah. And 
other than the Bible, because because right. this would be this would be Got the you. answer, I think. Um, what is the book that has had the most impact on you, your life, your business? Um, I know that you're going to say the Bible. Let's go with one more. Okay, so I'm trying to think. There was there's a couple. I mean, the one is the Lean Startup. Mm. Had a had a great impact on me as an individual, as a business owner, just looking at things from a different perspective. The tipping point's been great. Like I said, the second time I've read it. Um, and then there's a book now that was recently, I don't know how recently it was released. It, it's called The Four. Effectively, the Four. The Four. It's looking at Amazon, Facebook, mm. Facebook, Google, and Uber as four massive technology platforms and how they've created effectively, you know, almost, you know, I think – it's ridiculous. Like one third of the world's entire GDP goes through these businesses mm. and how they've scaled to these, these proportions and learning from the good and the bad. I mean, these companies have got great technology, great ideas, but also looking at how they've entrenched themselves in the mindset of the people that they serve. That book has given me great ideas about what we need to do as a business to shore up or defend our positions in the mm. market. Um, yeah. So, I mean, look, those are the books again. You know, given my past, I am not the most intellectual of people. So when the books get too technical, I tend to, you know, struggle to get through them. Sure. Um, so what I'll rely on is great people around me to decode them and tell me, actually, you know, this is the lesson that you need to learn. Mm. Um, but yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, when, when I read, I don't like technical books either. What I actually love it or autobiographies. I like to hear someone's voice telling me about their experience, uh, much like you are, are sharing here. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing a, a couple more questions before we, we, we close down this conversation. Who inspires you? And I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna hate, I will not hate, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Start so, again. <laughs> okay. So, my greatest inspiration again is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Second on this earth, a real human being that is alive today is my wife. Mm. My wife is, you know, she inspires me every single day. Um, she homeschools our children. She runs our, our family mm. and she is just, She's my hero. I mean, I've been in America for the last month preparing to come back. She packed up an entire house on her own. Mm. So she is my hero, and she honestly does inspire me. But what also inspires me and, and, and really you know, is my team. The fact that they get up and come to work every day with me as their leader inspires me to say mm. that, listen, I'm responsible to more than just myself mm. and to my family. There are a bunch of people that are counting on the decisions that I make. And so I am beholden to them to make the right choices, to make good decisions, to give them and their families the best quality of life that I can provide. Well, the, the question is not a trick question, but it's an insightful question because the, the emphasis is actually for me, not on the who, but the what. Right. So it's what inspires you. And thank you for sharing. I, I, what, I, what I sense in you is a, is a deep spiritual and emotional connection um, with those around you, with a deity with with the universe and there's multiple ways we can we can phrase it and i think it drives you in a significant way you you've said it does but what i'm hearing from you is that it definitely definitely does thank you thank you for sharing um your journey with us your greatest weakness man you know there's so many okay so the greatest weakness for me i probably I probably don't believe in what I'm capable of doing enough. And often because of, I still carry the baggage of my past mm. and the person that I was. And even though I've changed, I think that often plays a part in me believing I can do certain things or not. So I suppose it's confidence. I'm actually an extremely 
big introvert. You might not believe it. You might not think it. But I struggle to connect with people. Mm. And even though I'm a good salesperson, I can do it. When I'm playing that role, I can be a great salesperson. But out of that environment, I struggle to connect with people. So I suppose my greatest weakness would be in being – I should be more outgoing. I should be, I should be more open to connections. I should be more, I should want more networking. And especially in the space that I'm in at the moment in the mm. United States where networking is paramount, I know nobody. Mm. You know, this is like, it's become apparent to me that this is a major flaw in my character. Something that I'm working through, but yeah, I mean, that for me is probably my greatest weakness. Well, I'm an introvert as well. And I learned, very early on in my career, there was a definition for confidence because you've spoken about a, a confidence, which is a people confidence uh, or at least a networking confidence. Um, and that confidence is trust in processes that work. And so that what that has done for me as an introvert and as a human being is understand that I don't have to try and be something that I'm not. But rather, I just need to learn a process or two or three or five that is going to result in the outcome that I want. And so, uh, I mean, I, I reflect back on, on my younger years, certainly my, my, uh, school years. And there was always a, this, uh, I, I fell prey to this idea of comparison and thinking that other people were better around me. Uh, but then this confidence definition came up. And it changed my life. And, and so we, we move beyond that. I mean, this idea you transcend it because you understand something that maybe some other people don't. Confidence is trust in processes that work. It was a fantastic lesson. What would your, your worst enemy say is your greatest strength? That's an interesting question. My stubbornness. Okay. My stubbornness. Cause I can, I can be really stubborn. And so I can become dogmatic about getting to the end result, no matter what's going on around me. What, 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 what is it that makes you stubborn? Maybe stubborn is not the right word. My perseverance, okay. my tenacity. Okay. Okay. So I'm like a dog with a bone. Mm. You know? So I think my greatest enemy would probably say that they find it most difficult to <laughs> get me to distract from you know, the end objective. Okay. So there's, there's, there's even a laser-like focus that you may have. Yes. Uh, how, how do you manage that? Um, how, do you, how do you get to a point where you are able to do that? I think, it, I think it's, again, is that you know, the why fuels that. But for me, being, being dedicated to those around me, knowing that, again, there's more at stake than just me and that the end goal is what we're aiming for keeps me motivated to get there and I will do whatever it takes to get there. I, I mean, my wife often tells me I often get what I want. Mm. Um, not in a bad way. I mean, like, mm. no, like in, a, in a good way. I understand that. But I'm passionate about driving. If, if I've decided and, and I've agreed and we've come to a consensus and this is the route that we're going, then I commit to it and then I go. Mm. And then, you know, it takes quite a lot to derail me from that, from that process. Mm. Well, I think what has happened is that everything that we've mentioned on the show and anything that people may be able to read about you is testament to the fact that you have a perseverance and focus that uh, has driven you to a particular point. Uh, you've been motivated by some things, but then discipline kicks in. That's why you've been able to do some of these extreme, extremely incredible things. Um, I wonder if that's a really good sentence. Let me start that again. That's, <laughs> that's why you have been able to do some incredible things. Thank you for being part of the, the lineup that of incredible leaders that have crossed through that door and sat with myself and in, in, as part of the future CEO's conversation. That is an unfolding learning conversation. It's a reflective conversation. We hope that you at home have been able to learn during this conversation as we have reflected together. Marco, thank you for being here. Thank we you really appreciate it. Me. I really appreciate it. Um, all the best for the, the next 
12 to 18 months. Uh, I'm interested to see how that unfolds for you over in the States. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and I'll be back. Give you good feedback. That's all we have time for this week. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Go to futureceos.com or cliffcentral.com to download the podcasts. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.